2: Greetings, Buff fans, from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. Welcome to the first episode of Season 4 for the See You at the Game podcast. I am joined for the initial installment of the 2023 season by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland. And we will be discussing the finalization of the CU assistant coaching lineup as well as a unit-by-unit review of the current CU roster. Coach Prime has his coaching staff in place for the season. Half of his assistants have followed him from Jackson State. Is that too high a total? How will the offensive and defensive schemes play out under coordinators Sean Lewis and Charles Kelly? And is it just us? Or has CU made great strides in attracting quality recruiters to the coaching staff? Now, as to the lineup, Buff fans are excited about every new announcement of a commitment, but they are now coming at a defined cost. CU, like every other FBS school, will need to be down to 85 scholarship players come the opening of fall camp, and Colorado is already in the 90s in scholarship players. With that backdrop, we review each unit on the team and decide whether or not CU is set at that position or still searching, using the guideline that any potential new recruit being a good but not necessarily great prospect, and whether the addition will offset the loss of another good player already on the team. Which units does CU have enough talent to compete at the Pac-12 level, and which units are still in need of significant upgrades over the next few weeks and months? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back, and the start of Season 4 for the Sea with the Game podcast. Joining us from Highlands Ranch is Brad Geiger. Welcome to 2023, Mr. Geiger. Hey, good morning. It's a beautiful day in Highlands Ranch. After a few
0: cloudy weeks, we got a bright sunshine, just like we've got on the CU football program.
2: That's... <laughs> The year of the Buffalo or the year of the rabbit or something like that. But uh, 2023, Neil Langland from downtown Denver. How's Neil doing as the the new year has begun?
1: Uh, Well, just waking up from a long winter's nap, apparently, and watching the stragglers get over to Mile High Stadium for the last Broncos game. Seems like a fitter crowd than usual home games for the Broncos. But also enjoying the sunshine down here. It's great.
2: Okay. Well, we are, as mentioned, starting season four for the podcast. I mean, the website's been around for, well, at least 14, 15 years now, but now we're into season four for the podcast, and we're getting close to episode 100. I think we'll celebrate that with the signing day episode coming up in a couple of weeks. So thank you guys for your participation and welcome to 2023. We're going to talk today. A little bit about the assistant coaches roster and what we think of uh, the 10 assistant coaches that coach Dion Sanders is bringing in and then we'll move on to the way too early depth chart talk about uh, where CU stands in the units and different positions and whether or not we think there's more help needed or if we think we're actually good to go for the 2023 season at least to be competitive in the in the PAC 12. So Brad, I'll I'll start with you. Just an overview of the assistant coaches list. Are you excited, concerned, uh, optimistic, not sure? Where do you come Um, down on the, what uh, coach prime is bringing to Boulder?
0: I am generally enthusiastic and somewhat optimistic. I, I like the coordinators very much. I think they are the kind of quality, coordinators that we have not necessarily had here for a while um and i think that that given that we expect the head coach to be more big decisions and not at this hands-on although we may not know that i like kelly i like i think that's a really good hire that is the kind of step up from an sec kind of quality coach up into uh an assistant coach here that we would not have gotten in the past those guys didn't look at CU just when they came down to step up. I think that um, Lewis, same way. Uh, having somebody with head coaching experience on the roster or on the coaching roster, I think helps. And, um, you know, what little I've been able to find of Kent State offense, I, it's exciting. Um, I think we're going to run a lot of plays. I think we're going to hopefully score some points, um, particularly with the new talent on the, offense, at the uh, offensive side of the ball. So, I like that. Um, you know, it, there's Sanders went with people he knew on, the, on a lot of the rest of it. It's, it, you know, an enhanced Jackson State coaching staff, and you can't blame a guy for having people he's comfortable with. But yeah, they all, there's nobody on here who's not qualified to be in their position. Some of them are stepping up a bit in class. That's what happens when you're forming a new staff. So, I think there's a lot of reasons to be really excited about this bunch. Okay.
2: Well, Neil, let's. Let's focus on those coordinators. You got Sean Lewis coming in as the previous head coach at Kent State. And I can't remember the last time Colorado had a head coach come to see you to be an assistant coach, even as a coordinator in, in Boulder. Sean Lewis with the flash fast offense of Kent State, with the, of course, Kent State being the golden flashes. And Charles Kelly coming from Alabama, where he was a Associate Defensive Coordinator. What do you think of the, uh, the two coordinator hires? Are those exceptional coaches that you think will actually run those two sides of the ball? Or how do you see the coordinators working out for Coach Prime?
1: Well, I've said yikes a lot over the past few years with CU with regard to some of the play on the field. Saying it today with respect to these coordinators, these have to be among the highest quality coordinators coming in that we've had in a long time, a long time, maybe going back to the Barnett uh, years. So I'm enthusiastic that one, we're going to get a real fresh look at a contemporary modern offense that plays with some pace, has speed as its central tenant uh, on defense can you do any better than the Saban system and Alabama? Someone schooled in that. People have come out of that tree, of course, and not done well. But I think this co-coordinator from Alabama really is the kind of guy that is necessary to attract quality position coaches on that side of the ball, as well as to design a scheme that will fit the players. So often here in the past, we have had coordinators that made players adapt to their system, no matter whether those players were suitable. I think these guys are experienced enough and confident enough in what they can do to adapt to the talent they have. And I think we'll see by mid season, significant improvement, at least in the schemes and the game plans that these guys put forward.
2: Okay, well, I'm gonna stick with you. Brad touched on a little bit, schools are allowed 10 offensive well 10 assistant coaches and there's lots of analysts and other things on the side that other schools can pay for but of the 10 allotted assistant coaches five of them are coming from jackson state uh, including gary flea harrell who's the running backs coach brett bartoloni who's wide receivers coach tim brewster the tight ends coach And we've also got Andre Hart, the linebacker's coach, and Kevin Mathis is the cornerback's coach, all coming with Coach Prime from Jackson State. Do you have any concern about the fact that half of the coaching staff is coming on the Louis Vuitton luggage train with Coach Prime, that uh, maybe they are going to be a little bit above their punching above their weight as Jackson State coaches coming to play against Pac-12 competition?
1: I'd like that Coach Prime has brought with him coaches that know his system, know his style, and I think will help the coordinators and the players mold to Coach Prime's basic scheme. There is some concern of melding the guys from Jackson State with the guys not from Jackson State, but. The thing that that worries me most, if there is a worry here, is just the difference between um, FCS play and Power Five play. But most of these coaches have Power Five experience somewhere in their background. So that shouldn't be a concern. Um, I, I think that it's not a big deal to have that many coaches come from Coach Prime's staff at Jackson.
2: Okay. Well, Brad, you know, we used to have just a couple of good recruiters on the staff. We'd be relying on Darian Hagen or our longtime wide receivers coach uh, to be the, the guy, the closer for recruiting. But it seems like a lot of these coaches have good recruiting backgrounds. And that seems to be a priority. Seems to make sense. You like the fact that there's some pretty good recruiters on this list? Well,
0: I think one of the things that's made me excited about Coach Prime is that he recognized very early on that there was a talent gap and he didn't kind of cover that up. Um, I know he got a little bit of criticism for his first speech to the players, but I think uh, Sanders and I think his coordinators both understand that CU needs to improve their talent level. And Sanders went and found guys who are dedicated to improving the talent level. And it's not just the the players who have come here. It is, you know, you look on Twitter and there are five stars saying we've got CU in the top five. These are people who couldn't have found Boulder on a map before December. So, yeah, I think obviously having the right amount of talent is vital and by all accounts particularly again that the coordinators um know that they have to get better and that they have to get them in here they also have recruited areas of the country that we have not been in for years so i think it's i think sanders recognized early on that this team is not going to get better just based on scheme that his his job and his success is going to be based on getting more players in here and yeah I don't think you need the defensive coordinator to be the closer when Deion Sanders is walking in the room <laughs> i yeah. think I think they need the identifiers I think if they can get us on a list, they're going to rely on on the head coach to close it, which is the Bill McCartney theory, not to denigrate prior staffs, but I think having you know Dion Sanders in the room is somewhat different than having Carl Durrell or John Embry in the room, and I think that's going to make a big difference, so I'm excited that that's was a focus on this coaching staff
2: yeah i'm very pleased considering that coach prime really doesn't have a lot of history coaching himself that he has these relationships already in place that he can bring in like a sean lewis from kent state as a head coach and bring in charles kelly and charles kelly finished as the number one assistant coach recruiter in the country now you can certainly make the argument that <laughs> recruiting to Alabama is not super hard, that if you pick up the phone and there's a five-star recruit and say, hi, I'm going from Alabama, and they're like, okay, I'm coming, yeah. um, that there will be a lot of players that want to do that. But that being said, you know Alabama is competing with mm-hmm. Clemson and Ohio State and other schools, so it's not just – Getting the in the door in the first place, you actually have to close the deal, and he's been able to close the deal. So if in this brand new world of Colorado football, where we're actually competing for four- and five-star recruits, to have somebody that knows how to make that not only an offer sheet that looks impressive, but actually have a signing sheet that's impressive, Um, You certainly have to be, I think, pretty excited about this coaching staff from that standpoint. And I guess we'll just have to see how it all plays out once they hit uh, spring camp and hit fall camp and head to Fort Worth to play TCU in the opener. But segueing from the coaches and four and five star recruits. Uh, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about the lineup that CU has and what has been added to the roster and what we might be looking for as the transfer portal is working out. And then, of course, February 1st is the second signing day that currently CU is somewhere between 90 and 92 scholarship players and will have to be down to 85 come August 1st. And the reason I'm hedging a little bit is we got two kickers in the last week, and I'm not sure if either or both of them are going to be scholarship players or preferred walk-ons, but CU is already over the limit for recruits. So any recruit that CU gets at this point, transfer or high school, means that somebody else is going to be leaving the team. So what I want to do is go through this unit by unit, and let's talk a little bit about what CU has And compare it to a hypothetical mid to high level three star potential transfer high school recruit, knowing that you're going to have to give up a similar player that's already on the roster. So when I talk about, do you want to, are you, do you feel that the unit is set or that CU is still searching, it's going to be under that parameter that if you're, say, yes, I'd like to have another player at that position for that unit, it's with the understanding that it's not a super great replacement, but a good replacement, and it's also at the expense of losing a current player on the roster, either from that unit or some other unit on the team. So, Neil, I'm going to start with you and the quarterbacks. Obviously, Shador Sanders is the presumptive starter. For backups, you've got JT Shroud, who will be back, for senior year again, we don't know if he's going to stick around, but at least for now he's on the team. Drew Carter is also back, and then you've got two class of 23 freshmen, Ryan Staub and Kason Weissman. So I'll put it to you first: or do you think that the University of Colorado football team and Deion Sanders is set at quarterback for 2023, or should they still be looking for a quality transfer backup?
1: Uh, no and yes, respectively, <laughs> which is uh, we're one play away from not having Sanders, you know, the usual cliche. And behind him, we have guys from last year, plus two mid three-star freshmen. Um, that's not a good room. We need to do something with that. We need to have someone with for a kid that has some experience perhaps, maybe a, a starter at uh, an FCS school or um, a group of five school, if we can to get in and uh, have, fill the role as backup. And someone who is willing to do that, and at least one of those guys. Um, as much as I was trying to advocate for Shroud, uh in the past, I, I'm just not confident that he's going to be an able backup but maybe he will be in a good system, but I don't think we have the, uh, um, we can afford, we cannot afford to take that chance. Excuse me.
2: Oh, okay. Well, the all important quarterback position, Brad, do you think CU is set And um, that Shadur Sanders is going to be, well, it's going to be hard even to be all conference compared to the talent that's in the Pac-12 this year, but would you feel more comfortable picking up one more, transfer a quarterback to act as backup and can you see you even get a quality backup knowing that you know them coming in knowing they're not going to be able to start
0: yeah that's you know would i like to have you know a qualified fcs or a group of five transfer come in certainly i think that's a reach and we 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 have lived through this coach's son quarterbacking before and while there are pluses and minuses and and Shadier sanders is completely capable of upgrading a very much an upgraded position there. You know, it's kind of hard to tell recruits that they're going to get a good shot when they're competing against coaches. So while I would prefer to have a, an agreement um, or a new recruit, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to work hard to try to get strout to, you know, the most popular position on the field, backup quarterback. And I'm hoping that Drew Carter can be developed into that. Because I think whether or not I would like this unit to get better, and I think they it would be nice if they did, I think this is who we're probably got.
2: Okay. Well, Brad, I'm going to stick with you. We go to running backs. Several backs are coming back. Deion Smith is a senior. Jay Lee Stacks, junior. Anthony Hankerson and walk-on, ever-present walk-on Charlie Offerdahl, <laughs> back as sophomores. Victor Venn will be a redshirt freshman. And of course, then there's the four-star recruit, Dylan Edwards, who is a Notre Dame commitment and flipped to Colorado, four-star back. So you've got a four-star back coming in. You've got some backs of quality that are there. So is CU set at running back for 2023 or still searching? I would, this is a position that I would not be surprised
0: if somebody else comes in, maybe a bigger back, um, somebody who, you know, you'd love to have somebody who's about six foot 220, um, who is a step or two faster than our dear friend, Charlie (laughs) Offerdahl, who we all love, but has some talent limitations. I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up with somebody else here especially given the offense we're going to run having more people able to take snaps there i think matters so i would hope that we could find somebody again with some experience in the transfer portal to come in and i think there's room to compete as a starter here if, if you were you know a backup quarterback at a at a, at a group of five or a rack up running back at a group of five i think you could get honestly sold that this is a spot where you can come in and play significant snaps.
2: Okay, Neil, do you agree? We got Dylan Edwards seems pretty confident. He says he wants to be freshman All-American his first season. And, you know, he's certainly one of the higher rated backs that CU's had for a while. And you do have tested running backs, you know, with Deion Smith and things like that. That uh, is a good, is the room good enough for you? Or are you still looking for additional transfer help?
1: I'm still window shopping. I think that Edwards and Venn are kind of a similar player, small, fast, quick, uh, that sort of back, um, scat backs, we used to call them. I agree with Brad. that We probably need more of a every down between the tackles kind of guy. I don't think a 170 pound back is going to hold up for an entire season running between the tackles. So uh, I think Edwards probably can, have significant snaps, but there's got to be someone else. And all due respect to Deion Smith, he showed some flashes, but he has trouble staying on the field, uh, injury prone, not his fault. I don't think Offerdahl or Cropolongo are probably viable in that regard. Um, Hankerson is interesting, and maybe he can be mm-hmm. in the back rotation stacks. Uh, is puzzling. If he was a little smaller and a little quicker, I think he could be a viable backup. But absent changes in those two guys or those three guys, we're gonna need another back uh, exactly the proportions that were sketched out by Brad. And, and I think too, we need to have some continuity. We need to have some backs that we're gonna redshirt and develop for the long term.
2: Okay, well. Uh, Neil, I'll, I'll come back and stick with you on this one. I think we might be able to make quick work of the, the wide receiver room. I mean, <laughs> if, if you think you want more wide receivers at this point, then you're talking about upgrading, you know, the NCAA rules to allow hundred scholarship players, because there is a a wealth of talent at the wide receiver position. Uh, in addition to the players like Montana, Lamonius Craig and of course, Jordan Tyson, hopefully coming back full strength. You've got four-star transfer, Jimmy Horn. You've got four-star class of 23 wide receiver, Adam Hopkins. Four-star, O'Marion Miller from the class of 23. One, two, three, four other class of 23 wide receivers. And not to mention a couple of freshman red shirts that steve has been sitting on that didn't get a chance to play this past year, they're going to play this year. Please tell me that you think that the University of Colorado is set at the wide receiver position, doesn't need any more four star, as much as we like to see four star recruits and four star transfers, that this is not a position of need going into the 2023 season.
1: It absolutely is not. Uh, We have all the speed in the world in that room. If, however, we're looking for a big body wide receiver like Arias uh, that can catch, That would be a nice addition, a possession type guy, perhaps. But if we get no one else here, I'm fine.
2: Okay. Does uh, the Brad, the the moving on of Daniel Arias to uh, try and get on to an NFL team give you pause that uh, makes you think that we need an additional wide receiver for this unit? Or do you think that uh, we'd have to say that this unit is pretty well set for 2023? Well, I mean, using the standards we
0: talked about, would we, you know, would we take, we will not add another three-star to that room. You know, if Jerry Rice, not Jerry Rice Jr., but Jerry Rice, as he was when he came out, wanted to sign, I suspect we'd find room for him. But, um, you know, we've got a lot of fast guys. We've got, this is going to be a sorting process. These guys, not all these guys will be on the roster in the fall. We're going to sort these guys in the spring and figure out who can catch the ball and who, who's going to stay on the field. But, yeah, I'm very happy with this crew. Everything that you read says that the they can run this offense. We're going to figure out just which is the best of this bunch, but it would have to be a pretty impressive kid to come in and and take a
2: scholarship away. Yeah, I I tend to agree. This might be one of the rooms where. There's actually going to be some attrition, not addition, um, come spring as we try and figure out how to get down to 85 scholarship players. And again, that's not a knock on the the talent that's in the room. It just happens to be probably the most talented unit. Uh, Maybe we can talk about the cornerbacks here in a minute, but the wide receiver room seems to be pretty well set in terms of talent going forward. Uh, Brad, I'll, I'll pick it back to you. Uh, still on the receiving side of things, and this might be another area of attrition, would be the dear tight end position, which CU fans might have to Google that to see what that is for. Um, <laughs> but the coaching staff did bring in a transfer, and I'm gonna, uh say, Doe Traori. I guess we'll learn his name in, good, in all all due time. He's a sophomore transfer coming in. And there are four, count them, four sophomores, including Caleb Fourier, uh, Legacy, Eric Olson, Austin Smith, Louis Passarello, which I believe they all, with Brady Russell moving on, the four tight ends that are coming back had a grand total of, what, nine catches between the four of them last year? Maybe Deion Sanders and company want to use tight ends. You've got a very experienced tight ends coach and Tim Brewster, who's a former head coach at Minnesota. So if we need to use the tight end in the new offense, do we need more tight ends? Because we have no juniors, no upperclassmen, or is this one set simply because tight end's not going to be important at the University of Colorado? Um,
0: I would be shocked if if we pick up another tight end. It's not a big part of this offense and it's, you know, again, I would love for the tight ends to matter. I've been asking for the tight ends to matter for a year or two now or a decade or two. It may have been,
2: (laughs) um,
0: I think again, this is going to be spring practice. We're going to be figuring some guys out, uh, you know, to use the standard, I obviously, if, if a four-star quality transfer wanted to come in, but I think, uh, Torori is, is kind of the designated successor. I suspect we'll see a lot of him at that position, and I think that four. I think Fourier is for real too. So, again, you take a great guy here, but I don't think anybody's out there recruiting anybody hard for that position.
2: Yeah, Neil, do you tend to agree that uh, the tight end position is, if not set, it it might not be beyond set. It might be a position of attrition um, comes into spring and going into the fall, or do you think that they're going to bring in more at the tight end position
1: i think the the transfer Treore. please excuse me if that's not correct at his size he is more of a two excuse me a uh an h-back or a move tight end someone who lines up on the wing or in the backfield but who is probably a nice big target has pretty good speed uh if you team him with olsen who's more of an inline tight end that's a good duo and if you add in Fourier, as Brad mentioned, I think that's a, a nice workable group. Uh, I think Fourier showed some talent, showed some ability during his time. I wish he wasn't injured so he could have played a full year. But absent, I don't know, the Kansas City tight end wanting to come back and finish his degree at CU, <laughs> we're not going to need anybody else in that room.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, I think some of those guys better learn to block. If they want to stay on scholarship, yes. I think, I think I think there's going to be room for one or two of those tight ends who can who can lace who can play with a defensive end to stay on the roster. Otherwise, they'll be looking at someplace else come summer.
1: So, yeah. do you support my theory that Frank Phillips should come back and lose forty pounds and play tight end like uh, <laughs> like Nate Solder? Would that be okay?
0: I think yeah. I think that's unlikely, but it would be
2: fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, almost as likely as Nate Solder coming back. So, but but moving on to the offensive line, which is your favorite place on the the entire roster, Neil, there are three returning starters. Of course, that's three returning starters for an offensive line that was ridiculously bad uh, in the 2022 season. No fewer than six transfers already on board. So there's a lot of bodies So again, using the parameters that you have to give up some, you get, you know, to get something, you have to give up something. Would you like to see more offensive linemen, even even if it's at the expense of some other positions? Or do you think between the three returning starters plus one, two, three, four, five, six other scholarship linemen that CU has now the six transfers on the offensive line, do you think that there's enough? Wait there. There's a, you know a ton of transfers coming, literally a ton of transfers <laughs> coming in on the offensive line. Do you think that this is a, a good enough group to work with to make this offense work? Or are you still hoping for more bodies to come in and transfer in to play for the University of Colorado this fall? Uh,
1: for your suggestion and Brad's about attrition. I think this is going to be a group where we will see a lot of attrition. I think the guys that have a chance of sticking around are Lichtenhan, Van Wells, Tommy Brown is a wild card. Uh, he, he could probably contribute to that line if not start. Uh, beyond that, it's gonna be all transfers and I wouldn't be surprised to see four out of the five positions be transfers, uh, two of them at tackle. So I, I think we're pretty well set there. Uh, I'm just not sure how some of those transfer players will fit in in a power five scheme, power five league. And we'll find that out in spring ball, as you mentioned. So it may be that there will be attrition in the spring. And if the transfer portal opens up with a nice guard or center, we could probably use that.
2: Okay, well, Brad, do you concur that uh, there's always room for one more? at the table and at the expense of maybe losing some of the players on the roster that weren't contributing particularly, or do you think that the coaching staff noting that the offensive line was an area of need and went and attacked it and brought in six different transfers that they think that they've got enough bodies now to, to make this work.
0: Well, and, you know, and picking up uh, McGarbell, or I don't know really how to pronounce that gentleman's name, um, this week, another, and he's got, you know, Power 5 experience, or at least he's been in a, at the Florida program, although he didn't play. They obviously just clearly, again, this this goes back to the fact that Coach Sanders figured out that there was a massive talent problem there. Our, the, the, the offensive line just, I mean, it wasn't well coached, but they're just not good players. And to some extent, they are, uh, using quality to try to determine or using quantity to try to figure out what quality is. Yes. Um, and I, I, don't think this offensive line is going to look anything like it did last year. Hopefully, you know, nobody would hope so. So I, again, I think probably as I like the fact that they just went and found guys. And I think some, at least a few of the guys they found have potential to be there. But I would be shocked if there are, if they're not out looking for, they'd love to have one more big tackle, somebody to guard that backside. So, you know, if we had to end, lose a wide receiver to add an experienced tackle, I think everybody would make that trade, wouldn't they? Or one right. of those tight ends. Uh, if if we could get a three, four-star tackle, particularly somebody who played in the power five, I, I think we'd, We'd cut a, a wide receiver or a tight end
1: pretty quickly.
2: Yeah. Well, um, I did see one article, you know, in the athletic that they were talking about there's always kind of a dearth of offensive line transfers available, and that, you know, they kind of get the bar closing beer goggled look about them as the transfer season wears on. That since there's not very many out there, that they start to look a lot better than they really are. And I think that you just mentioned, you know, Yusef McHarble from Florida. He was a four star player out of North Carolina, but he never played a down because he was in a car accident and has yet to play a down. But he was a four star recruit out of high school two years ago. I think that's the kind of recruit that CU's going to end up getting is, you know, somebody that looks, has great potential. And I think you guys both kind of mentioned the idea that we'll, you know, it'll sort itself out to get enough good bodies. It'd be nice if we could play eight offensive linemen and, you know, not play 13 on the side, because then you could have all these guys maybe do a pretty good job, but you're going to have to find five starters out of that group. And I think, yeah, I agree with you guys that's pretty much still going to be a pretty fluid situation throughout the spring. Uh, Brad, turn into the defensive side of the ball, you've got our good friends along the defensive line, which as bad, well, pick a unit. Colorado was not good last year, so mm-hmm. not to pick on anybody. But uh, Jalen Sami and Naeem Rodman are back as starters. Uh, they picked up four upper-class transfers. Uh, so there's some quality coming in, some experience coming in along the defensive line in addition to four CU sophomores that are coming back. So seems still a little thin to me, but do you think that uh, with the experience coming in with the four upper-class transfers to go with two senior returning starters, that maybe CU has some answers along the defensive line, or is this still pretty thin and not set? You know,
0: one, is it an upgrade from last year? Yeah. It's... uh you know, we we had hoped last year that the defensive line was going to be a strength, and it just there were games where it played better than others, but it was not as strong as we might have hoped. I like who we've brought in. You know, the transfers, especially the defensive line, are not probably as high quality as the transfers over on, particularly in the offensive skill positions. I don't know that we're set. of course, we all know, particularly given the speed at which the Pac-12 plays, that having more defensive linemen is better. I like, I've always liked uh, Jalen Sami and Naeem Rodman. I think they could play in the Pac-12. They're not ever going to be stars, but I think they could probably play the position. And I like that we've got transfer experience there. I still think this may be the least talented. The front seven of the defense is my biggest concern and remains my biggest concern. Um, Obviously, I would love to get, you know, a five-star defensive lineman, but they don't come here. So I think we're going to have a lot of rotation. I think there's going to be a lot of trying. I would not only will this group will not sort itself out at spring practice. I don't think I suspect we're going to be seeing a lot of fluctuation on the defensive line. Even the first couple of games as they try to figure out who can play and how they can play. So they're fine, but they're going to be a concern until they prove otherwise.
2: Okay. Well, Neil, would you would you agree that this is still primary area of concern along the defensive line? And then we'll let you go off to the edge rusher and outside linebacker, kind of meld those together, that uh, the greatest area of need remains the, the front seven? Or is there enough influx of experience there that uh, see you can make this work? Are they still in search or do you think that this might be a position where they're, they're kind of set with the number of bodies they have that are upperclassmen, a total of six juniors and seniors that will be playing defensive line for the University of Colorado this fall?
1: That's a good question. Uh, what I foresee in the defensive scheme are two large guys in the middle, defensive tackles, uh, one, three, and five techniques. And with A defensive end, one being maybe a little bit on the 6'4", 250 size, and then a stand-up guy as an outside linebacker. Not confident that we are competitive in either of those spots, in any of those spots. I think Rodman and Sammy probably can rotate, as you and Brad have suggested. But we need drastic improvement in the center of that defense. Uh, the down lineman, the Mike linebacker, and not to get too far ahead of myself, the safety position, before we're going to have any sort of defensive prowess. So I, I think we're we're going to be looking for defensive tackles, um, and I think we're going to be looking for edge rushers uh, that have some speed. One of the comments I read about the anonymous comments from other Pac-5, uh, Pac-12 coaches about CU was that they were big, but they were slow. So I I think we're gonna be looking for speed at the linebacker position and little more mobility in the middle. So that is an area of concern. Linebackers and defensive line, I I think it's wide open and there's gonna be a lot of new faces in there and probably a lot of familiar faces that we don't see anymore after spring.
2: Okay. Well, Neil, I mean, I think we were talking about that the edge rushers, I mean, I, I was actually, I mean, I'm, I'm a stats guy and I was more than happy, well, not more than happy, but felt obligated to keep reporting about how C was ranked in the bottom 10 of pretty much every statistical category. But even I was surprised to find out that C was the only team in the country last year that didn't average at least one sack per game. Not only were we 131st, he only had nine sacks in 12 games. And there are no outside linebacker edge rushers returning. And the only transfer coming in is Jeremiah Brown, who was okay at five sacks for Jackson State, but wasn't exactly setting the world on fire. So moving that, you know, just have you talk, Neil, about just linebackers and gentler all is Levonta Bentley. Bentley is coming in as a transfer senior. And you got Marvin Ham, got Hurtado. You got a bunch of sophomores, Mr. Williams, Carrie, Aubrey Smith, and then you got three class of 23 freshmen coming in. Yeah, I not to have you repeat yourself, but it just seems like the linebacker position, both inside and outside, is at this point a, a, a liability for the University of Colorado.
1: Well, I think uh, Josh Chandler Semedo filled in very well on the inside. There's no one currently on the roster that I can see that able to replace him. So we're counting on the transfer to come in and fill that role at Mike. Will linebacker, we have a bunch of guys that look good on paper, you know, in terms of size, uh, but they're just not making plays. So I, that may, may be an area where we need to upgrade, definitely in terms of speed, whether we play a, you know, a three-three-five or a 3-4, four, a 4-3, we need speed in the middle. Those linebackers are crucial, and I just don't think we have the talent on campus now uh, to live up to Pac-12 standards.
2: Yeah. Brad, you are certainly, I believe, was on board with that idea that uh, even if it comes at the expense of a talented three-star wide receiver or even a cornerback, that the defensive front is to use Achilles heel at this point.
0: Oh, there's no doubt. And you know, again, the, if there were genius pass rushers in the transfer portal all the time, we would, uh, we'd be somewhat shocked. They're, those are the kinds of players that tend to stick with high-quality programs. And I think probably we're going to have to, I mean, we're going to move on to the defensive secondary. Uh, the improvement in the secondary, particularly a cornerback, is going to be a scheme issue here you know, there is CU fans over the last couple of years would be unaware of this concept, but there is this idea that you can send more than four or three guys rushing the quarterback at a time. I understand. When did that that happen? I I, I think
2: there's a, there's a a rule against that. I don't
0: think you're allowed to do that. Yeah. There's this exotic concept called the blitz, uh, (laughs) where you can actually send people more than just the defensive lineman towards the quarterback. Um, which we couldn't use last year because of a lack of confidence in the secondary. So yeah, we, there is at particularly outside linebacker or edge rusher, which is, you know, a different position. We just don't have the talent there to make, to have a difference player. There is not not anybody on the front where USC is going to go, listen, we got to stop this guy. That person is not on campus. So it's going to be a matter of scheme. It's going to be putting, putting, our brand new and extremely talented quarterbacks on islands. And this is hard. This is a, the pac 12 has begun become a passers league and there's some really good passers in this league. And right now we don't have anybody who's going to put pressure on them by individual talent. So if we can't do it by scheme, it's still going to be a difficult year. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, Brad, I'll stick with you since we've been doom and gloom about the defense. Let's, get giddy about the cornerback (laughs) position um where the fact that after losing three defensive backs to power five schools with christian gonzalez and makai blackman declaring for the nfl draft and mark perry playing for the national championship as the second leading tackler for tcu we were all worried that nico reed would be the next defensive back to leave and now not only is it appear that he's going to stay but he might be the third best cornerback on the team yeah obviously travis hunter has all the accolades being the first number one overall recruit in cu history and CU's in the you know in the running for potentially getting another very high profile the number two overall player in the 23 class we won't know that for another week or so but there's a lot of uh Good things going on in the cornerback position. Um, pretty much set there. Oh, this is going to be fun.
0: Because, again, it, 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 in the Pac-12, the idea, I, I would doubt that we're going to play two corners more than 35% of the time. I mean, this, this is a nickelback league. And so, you know, it, we have finally, and it's been years, where we have the depth to play that we have the depth to i think have some creativity in the in the secondary you know everything you see about this about travis hunter is just all the skill in the world and and the instincts uh to play the one he would do beasley looks like he could play the game certainly we know nico reed can um i think we're going to see i'm hopeful that we're going to see i think we're going to have to see some real creativity on how those guys are going to get used both to cover and then i think I wouldn't be shocked if you didn't see those guys rush pass or do something. So I, you know, I just love that set of quarterbacks. Um, and, and you, one thing about Hunter, he can cover, but um, there's a couple plays where he, he can see guys coming around the end. He's not afraid to put his head in there, which uh, makes it slightly different than his head coach.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, uh, coaching staff at the university of Colorado, pay attention. Brad's got not only from having linebackers blitzing, but he's having cornerbacks blitzing. So <laughs> We're gonna have a very exciting defense. Neil, I'll let you, you know, talk about cornerbacks and safeties in the same breath. That uh, still a little, even though there's two returning starters at safety and Miles Slusher looks like a quality four star pickup at transfer that CU just got from Arkansas. Are you still a little bit concerned in the in the back end or are you pretty content with what CU's got going on at the defensive backfield at this point?
1: Well, in order to be consistent with earlier comments, not that consistency is all that important, but I see Reed as a slack corner with the two transfers playing left and right corner. Um, that means we're probably having a three-three-five or a four-two-five. But I think base defense is probably going to look a lot like Brad said, where uh, we have three corners in there, and those guys are going to be a strength. Uh, We need to build depth there, whether that comes from the inside or from the portal. We won't know that until after spring and probably through camp. Uh, In terms of safety, I like the transfer. We still need another guy back there. And as much as I like Trevor Woods, uh, I'm not sure he has the the speed to play coverage in a lot of these new schemes in this past Happy Pac-12. So that might be an area in which uh, the staff would be looking for a replacement. Woods is a very able player, instinctive. Um, I'm hoping they can find a way to get him on the field, but I don't see him as a starter, frankly.
2: Well, I I think, I mean, I think in the right scheme, I think Woods would have been the leading tackler on the team if he had not missed two games. And part of that was necessity. Part of the fact that, the say he had to make a lot of tackles because the front seven wasn't making tackles. Um, but he does have good instinct for the ball. He does have the ability and willingness to make tackles. So I agree. I think it'd be nice to have him fit into the scheme at some point, um, not necessarily as the star, but at least as a quality player on the roster. So overall, it sounds to me, Brad, like you're we're all kind of on the position that the front seven of the defense is the major area of need in terms of whether or not we're set at 92 with seven more players that we've been talking about going to be cut. Or you like Neil's idea that the defensive backfield still needs help or, you know, where's the, where's the greatest need and where's the greatest likelihood of attrition?
0: I think we're going to continue to try to build the def- defense. You know, at, at this point, if we had to trade a young safety for a linebacker, or if we had to turn Trevor Woods into a linebacker—a um, not unknown situation um, where I think he could probably play—I um, think that's probably what we're going to be looking at. Yes, again, we needed upgraded talent everywhere. We've upgraded. There are. Two, maybe three positions where we are competitively talented, but I would certainly, and i'm I'm quite confident the staff knows that that front seven is much more important than the back side. And I think that time is being spent looking for bigger guys up front than in the back. I think we can make this I think we can make the back the defensive backfield work with what we've got,
2: okay. So, Neil, any final words of wisdom in terms of what CU fans should be looking for in the last couple of weeks before we get the spring day, spring signing period? It used to be the first Wednesday in February was the big day, but there's going to be at least a couple of signees that CU's going to be looking for. The transfer portal, of course, remains open as long as you get somebody eligible. Class is starting, I believe, the 17th or 18th in Boulder. So any transfers that want to play in spring ball are going to have to sign on with Colorado pretty quick. What are you looking for? What are you excited about in terms of what the the changes in roster is going to be like in the next couple of weeks?
1: Well, we've seen a triple um, since uh, signing day. And I think we're going to continue to see that um, very selective transfers coming in. I think you and Brad are, correct in saying, not putting words in your mouth, but the front seven, front six, whatever it is, is a position of great need, not just on its own and intrinsically for its own sake. But if we're planning on playing a high octane, semi-speed up offense, we have to allow the offense some time off the field to rest. And that means you have to have defenses that can get off the field. And in order to do that, we need to improve that front seven, especially in the middle. And unless and until that happens, the improvement will be hindered on defense. And I think that's the greatest place of need. Second, I'll go with the O-line and just hope that the coaches can uh, blend existing players and new players into a cohesive scheme.
2: Okay, well, we'll have to leave it at that for now. We'll get together uh, before signing in a couple of weeks, and then after signing day that we'll have a better idea of what the 90 to 95-man roster will look like going into spring ball. But thank you guys again for being part of Episode 1 of Season 4 of the See You at the Game podcast, and I look forward to talking to both of you again soon. Go Buffs. Thank you both for listening to this podcast and for being a member of the buff nation, which is finally being rewarded for its loyalty. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with mile high sports and are proud to be part of their podcast network. As before, you can find the see what the game podcast on Apple podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See You at the Game website. I'll be back in a few weeks with Neil and Brad, and we'll be back to talk about the late additions to the C Recruiting Class of 2023, as well as any new transfers, as the 2023 roster comes into focus. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening
0: to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will again see you at the game.